tuned in to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. From Full Service Radio, this is Bad Feminist Making Films, a podcast presented by Riza and Ethnosine Collectives. We're your host, Maggie Lemire. And Emily Hong. And we'd like to welcome you back to our podcast, a show where we talk to bad feminist filmmakers who are confronting and changing the male-dominated film industry. Yeah. (laughs) So our lens for today's show is collaborating consciously with community. Maggie, say that fast five times in a row. Collaborating consciously <laughs> with community. Collaborating, it's, it's a lot of alliteration, which I like, but it's, it's hard to get through. <laughs> it is. Yeah. We're, so today we're going to have an amazing guest, Don Langford, who's a filmmaker and creative producer based in Washington, D.C. Um, and so, Maggie, maybe we can talk a little bit more about why the need for this conversation um, on collaborating consciously with communities. Yeah, I think this show kind of builds off of our last show, kind of talking about the intersection of uh, feminism and decolonizing film. Um, Unfortunately, I think, you know, filmmaking is still very product oriented. And now there's like this new, you know, movement towards impact filmmaking. And it's like the buzzword and it's great, but still impact filmmaking really speaks to, I think, what do you do with a film to make a campaign or make a difference afterwards? Um, But really filmmaking is so much about the process and that deeply impacts the the impact campaign that you're gonna have and how it's framed and who's engaged and what the priorities are. Um, And I think one of the most tenuous things about being a filmmaker uh, is in many cases you're not, you know, directly telling your own story, uh, which is something we should probably question continually. And so, if you are working with a community that is your own or not your own, actually, in either scenario, there's a lot of questions I think you have to continually ask yourself. So, I think today I'm excited to talk to Don, who's worked, you know, on international documentaries, uh, but also local projects um, and in terms of how she's navigated some of this and kind of what she's learned from the process because I think this is like a continual conversation that we need to have so that we can get better and better at it. Um, What about you, Emily? What interests you about kind of this conversation around how do we work with community? Yeah, I mean, I think you raised a lot of important points about process and I think, um, I think In terms of filmmaking, I think the question is, um, like, also how do we define community? Because Mm -hmm. when you think about, uh, you know, even if you are filming a community that is your own, right, what is, you know, when you put a camera between you and other folks, I mean, in some ways, it changes the dynamic already, right? And so I think questioning what it means. Um, what what we mean by community or what it means to be of or from a community and representing that is is a big question. But, you know, another thing that I'm interested in is is how does this intersect with questions of representation? So a lot of the times we talk about um, uh, how important representation is in in filmmaking and in media. Um, And on the one hand, absolutely, you know, we do need more stories about our people, whether it is folks of color, 
women, gender nonconforming folks, queer folks, people who are not typically represented in mainstream media. Um, but on the other hand, it's not just about, you know, having more stories about mm-hmm. our communities. It's also about how those stories are being told and and who gets to tell that story. And I think the intersection between the who and the how, right? So that's, that's something that I think... Um, you know, Dawn has a lot uh, of perspective to offer on these questions. And so um, I guess with that, let's, uh, let's introduce Dawn. And um, I'll, I'll say a little bit about, about Dawn's background, and then we can jump right, right into things. Sounds great. Um, so, uh, so Dawn Langford is a Washington, D.C.-based independent curator, documentary filmmaker, and artist. After many years working in public media as a broadcast TV editor, Dawn was accepted to the prestigious PBS Producers Academy in 2013, leading her to working on producing independent docs, including Check It, Kandahar Journals, and Finding Joseph. Dawn also launched a curatorial initiative, Quota, dedicated to centering traditionally marginalized viewpoints in public discourse around artistic creation and representation. Currently, she's the editor on a documentary about the descendants of those enslaved by the Jesuits in a collaboration with Georgetown University. Welcome to the show, Don. Thanks, guys. Yeah, we're so happy to have you here. And I was just saying, I've been wanting to hang out with you for a long time, but now I get to just (laughs) ask you all the questions. On the podcast, it's perfect. No, I'm really happy to be here and always to talk about issues around representation, um, especially with media making. There's, as we all can guess, a large disparity of um, producers and media makers of color. Definitely. Absolutely. So, um, Don, I was thinking maybe we could start by telling us a little bit about how you... How, how your past in filmmaking kind of began. So thinking back to, you know, what are those moments where you thought, okay, maybe I will get into filmmaking work and, and, and not in sort of the why you got into it and, and, and how that path kind of began for you. Um, you know, ever since childhood, I wanted to make films, um, but I didn't see it as a viable opportunity or a solution or something that was within reach for me. Um, I remember crying when I was a child to my mother (laughs) because I didn't ever see black people on TV. Um, And I'll date myself a little bit. That was when I was watching TV in the early 80s. Um, So, you know, it had always been in my mind, like, what, why, why can't I see images that look like me? Am I not important enough? Do we not exist? Are we invisible? Um, And then throughout the years, um, you know, I ended up doing a lot of things. I had a lot of different interests. Uh, I did end up working my way up in a film production house. I didn't I didn't mention this to you guys before, but as like a dub hut, this was back when there were like VHS tapes. (laughs) And so I was doing a lot of like law, like lawyers depositions. And um, we ended up doing a lot of work for the government Um, But fast forward to me working my way to becoming a a TV editor. Um, So I worked at WHUT 
um, which is the only PBS station owned that that's black owned um, or any public media station that I can think of. So uh, that's where I ended up working for a few years. Um, and I ended up working with some producers that may not have been black or of color and just through that and also independently. Um, and I was also freelancing. A lot of different things kept coming up where to me it just seemed like it was you know, unquestionable um, certain standards of how you treat subjects or how you would approach something or if there was issues of vulnerability, how you would navigate that. And it and it's not. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, I was very honored to get accepted to the PBS Producers Academy, which allowed me to delve more into this conversation. Um, and it was funny because when I got in, I assumed that it, I was a diversity <laughs> selection, <laughs> which I was not. And it was a very, um, you know, I think I was already jaded at that point, assuming that I didn't have the skill set to be there, that they didn't want me there anyway. Like, that's kind of where I was at at that point. Um, and so it was it was really a pivotal moment for me. Um, and just the peer-to-peer mentorship and the conversations and realizing that we all can work on this together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, you know, filmmaking is a really tough road for anyone. But as you're bringing up, there were just a lot of experiences that, you know, we talk as women about imposter syndrome, but when you're adding in questions of race and other things, um, would you mind sharing a little bit more about sort of how you think you got to that sort of space of... Yeah, 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 definitely. Well, um, being the only woman in the room a lot, um, when I was not... Howard University or WHUT, I would often be the only black person in the room. So you're the only woman, the only black person. So so generally what you say is not heard or it's not listened to or it's utilized as if it were like, you know, that they found it, that it, it was something that was, you know, like if it were uh, like a natural resource that they just happened to discover. So the discovery s- syndrome um, but also, I like that. I haven't heard that before. But yes. just made it up now. That's that great. was brilliant, Ton. <laughs> so there's, yeah, I think a little bit of that. Um, but I think most women can understand and and have been through similar experiences. Um, this field also has a lot of men who who there is definitely a competition. There's definitely like a, an asymmetrical um, setup in regards to. You know, and that's just the nature of filmmaking. Like, there's a director, and there's a producer, and there's this chain of command, and there's someone who needs to make decisions. And so there isn't generally a collaborative process around that. Like, there can be intentionally, but just the way that it's set up, it's already asymmetrical. So I think that might also add to it. But it's good to just, like, not have to worry about every aspect of what, right. what's happening. So, um, but there's a happy medium to that. Um you know, I've worked with people on their documentaries, and I've seen a lot of different things happen. Um, there's one documentary, and the producer I was working with asked me to remove one of the one of the men that we had interviewed um, because he had passed away. And so I was like, okay. And she didn't know his name. She just said one of them passed away. I was like, great. Well, just let me know what 
you know, the time code for when, when he's in the screener. And she selected like three different guys. <laughs> so it's just like, these are not all the same guy. <laughs> wow. They might all be African-American, but they're not the same person. So um, when you think about someone who is, that you're entrusting to tell a story, and, and these men were incarcerated, so it's sort of like, that's a very vulnerable place to be, and they're also incarcerated over, you know, mental health issues. So, um, so that's just an example that kind of sparked something in me. <laughs> um, but I've always felt this way about equalizing representation, and that, you know, we, we have a responsibility to um, try to think more deeply about telling other people's stories. I wanted to follow up a little bit more about that example that you you mentioned. So was that an experience where in that moment or, you know, after you reviewed the footage and realized that this person had no idea, you know, to distinguish between these different people, did you, were you in a position where you felt like you could, um, you know, talk to this person directly, uh, you know, about this? Or was it a situation where um, this experience kind of shaped your, the way of you just, your approach to working with directors and other folks um, in future projects? Mm. One thing I don't generally hold back when I'm thinking, <laughs> regardless of the circumstance. So I did uh, let that producer know that that was not the same person and... Um, that it was that I found that to be frustrating. So I did communicate that, and I, I would probably do that again. I mean, that person was also, maybe there were some politics around it, um, but I was an editor, and editors are granted a certain amount of, um, you know, uh, you, you're able to make your voice heard generally when you're an editor. So that was that particular occasion. But in other occasions, maybe I wouldn't have been able to. Yeah, it must have been uh, particular, particularly and especially disturbing um, just knowing that potentially some of the themes of that project were around injustice and then there's still how, like, you know, this disconnect, right? And, you know, one of the things we've spoken about previously is there's actually a whole industry where people are, you know, it's not that every filmmaker, especially the independent filmmakers, are making money, but a lot of people feel that they have the rights or are interested in telling the stories of people who've gone through extraordinary amounts of trauma and injustice over a lifetime. Um, and, and then seeing that, you know, good intentions aren't necessarily enough at all. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, well, and it can be considered part of the, you know, black pain industrial complex <laughs> so these stories are still being consumed they're being consumed on a regular basis on social media um, we're seeing black bodies black death um, and this is highly trafficked uh, it's become somewhat commodified it's a commodity so um, you know it not to say that a documentary is the same as um, you know all of the police brutality videos that have been coming out, but those those are trafficked in the same way. Yeah, and it speaks to the need for more representation of more types of stories and more storytellers, and that's why, yeah, like I love 
Issa Rae and these other folks who are like the awkward black girl and all that, those types of things that are really helping expand the canon of, of stories. Um, but bring us then into like the producer hmm. academy and sort of what this pivotal moment looked like for you. And Definitely. Um, just back to Issa Rae real quick. She, when she was discovered and that they picked up the show, they wanted her to be played by a white woman (laughs) and so she held out and decided not to do that particular deal and then um, Insecure is the second iteration of that so they wanted it to just be Tales of an Awkward Girl and then it was um, version for CBS and it did star a white girl instead (laughs) so just a little story no way I had no idea yeah and that happened like in what 2014 something around those so yeah wow (laughs) and like I mean her show is amazing and the the power of really great storytelling is it can be both specific and universal right so yeah. Even as a white woman, I relate to so many of these storylines and it's just like, like the awkwardness, like there was just an episode about like a breakup or something and she was like going on Instagram and just all these things, right? Like it's just such a brilliant show, but it's also so problematic, you know, that it's such an example of something that's so different um, than what we've been oh, presented. Right. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's really... Um, you know, I still haven't produced or directed on my own something as the lead. I'm still in a helping capacity. Of course, you know, I'm doing a lot of producing, I'm doing a lot of the lead. So I'm taking lead. But as far as like being the singular director, I haven't gotten to that space yet. But it's only been since, you know, I, it's been five years. Um, so I'm, I'm almost ready. And I, don't, I haven't really found that story that I'm willing to, um, you know, maybe go completely broke over <laughs> or <laughs> dedicate a lot of my time to just yet. So that, that, I think that will come later. Um, it's interesting. Like I, I was actually having this conversation on a hike a few days ago with a friend about why I want to why I'm pursuing directing and it was just sort of like because I feel like if I don't I'll always essentially work for people who limit me essentially and I want to be a really collaborative director of course but why for you is like directing an important next step you know can you talk more about that how you want to approach it absolutely um to really thoroughly have the the narrative um that you want to put out there I mean that's really the and and also I'm just kind of a perfectionist and I have certain ways and for to be able to execute your vision in in that capacity that would be great (laughs) so but I don't think it's something that I'm not rushing to do it either um, because I am experientially learning uh, as I go along totally so yeah let's go back again then to the the producers academy and what this journey has looked like for you in terms of the different you know roles you've played and and those conversations mm-hmm. that were taking place and that have kind of come into play in the in your work the last years um well you know i want there was so many amazing filmmakers there um a lot of them have moved on to so many amazing things um but i do think that it was confidence building mostly and then also seeing that there were so many other people in similar or you know further along down the same journey um so it was definitely inspiring I was in a position where I was really just sort of cutting 
you know, not the best stuff, sort of like talking head, um, you know, just like cut it, forget it, 2646 <laughs> or whatever. Um, and it, it was not very satisfying. Um, so that's when I shifted into working in multiple capacities in independent documentary. So that, that looks like, you know, editing maybe, that looks like writing treatments, raising money, um, story editing, shooting, um, just sort of holding it down emotionally, intellectually. Yeah, all those things. All the things. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what, tell us about some of the projects that really have st- stood out to you from this, this time and these experiences. Well, I mean, I don't have that many because they've taken, they take a lot of time. <laughs> so it's been, you know, five years. Uh, three of the documentaries that, the independent documentaries that I worked on, they were completed in 2016, 2017. Um, so, you know, the one that was most, not to put others down, but most pivotal was probably working on Check It um, with Dana Floor and Toby Oppenheimer. So um, I yeah, was there from the beginning. Um, yeah. Yeah. What, tell us. Um, maybe we can start a little bit with what what um, what is the film about, and and sort of what was your? I think you, as you were starting to talk about like what, how did you get into the film, and yeah. what was your role in it? Absolutely. Um, just by luck, my close friend was getting her nails done <laughs> at the same place that Dana <laughs> Floor was. And said, hey, oh, no way. and overheard Dana talking about her film. And she's like, my friend is great. You should meet. And um, she came out and met all of us for a drink. <laughs> and we got along really well. I sent her my, my reel that I had and, and other information. And so that's initially how I started working on Check It, um, doing just like organizing their media initially. Um, but then it extended into me doing cuts, being on site, um, field producing, just a variety of things over that period of time. And then it was also the first time for me to see a documentary made that way where um, the directors got to know, well, I guess I should say what Check It is first, but Check It is a documentary focusing on DC LGBTQI youth that have mostly been... um, you know, displaced, homeless. Um, so they started a gang, for lack of a better term, to start fighting back when they were in ninth grade. So that's generally when a lot of fights start happening. So they banded together and started fighting back. And their numbers grew to over 200. So now they they literally fought for the right to dress how they want, express themselves how they want, um, date who they want, you know, <laughs> in, in their respective communities. So that's, that's part of it. But then there's a line out where there are two different mentors that are from within the community that end up helping and seeing something in them and that they really are massively talented and smart and funny and amazing. Um, and they've been discarded by everyone. Um, so there's two previously incarcerated gentlemen who are mentors. And it's also interesting because they are, they're not 
homosexual, they're heterosexual, and well, anyway, so it doesn't matter necessarily. So there's a lot of mentors that are focused on in this movie who are from within the community um, instead of like there's no white savior <laughs> in this film, which I found really compelling. Um, and that the youth are the ones who save themselves, essentially. Um, and that it's just really exciting. It's just really an interesting uh, documentary. So uh, watching the process of the directors getting to know the youth before starting to film, spending time with them, building relationships, understanding you know, who, whose mama that is and who did this and like what that history is and where they live and knowing everybody, knowing everything before before filming. So you're not just jumping into it cold. Uh, things won't be misconstrued that way. So it's, I saw that as being a really helpful pre-step before you start shooting. Um, and that there, there was a real relationship there. And I know I've talked to other people who've worked with youth in documentary and they, they, tr- they, like they really do get so close. And you can't, you know, there's a different way of navigating that, that uh, relationship. Yeah, let me drink some water. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> well, anytime you have a, a relationship, um, it's like important to think about the long term impacts of it, but especially with youth. You know, like it's not just a job, right? Like, even as a filmmaker, you're in- intimately engaging in their lives. And, and yeah, will you talk more about how you all? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny because a lot, you know, we'll have screenings, and I've only been to a few of the screenings, though, but a lot of the check it come out, and they are older now and are working on mentoring youth younger than them, um, helping them to not get into the same cycle, um, and just, like, so poised and so just, like, just amazing. So that's something that I've noticed, like a community has also formulated out of this movie. So there's this time period that's been crystallized. They all went through it together. They, their story has been shared and they, they have this bond over that. And we all do that. This story, which is so important in that, you know, it, it's had international um, showings. So there are people in Germany and people, and like and they're going and like a lot of the Czech kids, <clears throat> pardon me, are going to a lot of these screenings uh, like around the world and being like, there's people like us everywhere. <laughs> so I think it's been hugely expansive for you know and um, and that there is also a sustainable element of creating um, a way out and using the movie as a vehicle to do that. So that's you know a great outcome and it's not like something where you apply for a film and they're like what's your social impact and you have to like try to tack it on and it's not built into the bones where it it just very naturally happened with this because that was part of the plan of the mentors was to create a way to sorry you know have like a sustainable way out that's really thoughtful what were some of the um I guess maybe decision points that you were confronted with in terms of working consciously, you know, which is one of our lenses for today with a community of youth. um, Yeah. Who will impact their whole lives. Right. 
Yeah, and um, you know, it was really just the sheer power and might of Toby and Dana, and Dana especially. She was here um, the whole time he's in New York, so he'd come down. But just, um, I think it was really grounded in the just the truth of those friendships. Um, when I was there, you know, it's, it's there's some like a way of just sort of like I'm on your time, you're not on my time, that I extended to the youth. I think that uh, quite frequently young people are confronted with being made to feel like they're wasting, like they're taking up your time, or you know, I just I was sort of like so grateful that for them to want to share this part of their lives. In all honesty, um, but yeah, it's just you just be yourself and. I really loved meeting them and hanging out with them and it was fun it was just fun <laughs> so I don't I mean that that was really the the reality of it um for me at least um but I think you know other folks moving forward it's very easy to have a friendly relationship that's one thing um but another thing is like how much do you know do you really know about their lives and part of the magic of being a documentary filmmaker is um kind of being able to read but also um balancing that with fact as well well with that let's take a quick break um this is bad feminist making films on full service radio You're listening to Full Service Radio, and you're, this is our show, Bad Feminist Making Films, podcast presented by Riza and Ethnocene Collective. And here we are. We're talking to Dawn Langford about one of the projects that she worked on, Check It. And um, so, Dawn, I wanted to talk a little bit about how the lessons that you learned from Check It have been a part of some of these principles or um, or practices that you have started to um, you know talk about to, to these wider audiences, um, and um, I guess specifically about you know what does it look like to have folks? I mean, I understand that the directors of Check It are not specifically of the community that check it is about and so um you know what are some of those principles or practices that you think are really important um for directors like them or for others who are working on communities that are not their own that's a great question (laughs) um and i don't want to just pin it on check it necessarily i've had a lot of different experiences where i've witnessed a lot of moments where I do think that if you're doing something about a community that you better have some people of color on your production 
staff, crew. Um, so that's first. <laughs> so if you are doing a movie and everyone that you're documenting, and I think I would extend that to, you know, are you, you know, releasing music? Are you, you know, I just think that all the way down the line that in a creative production, you can't, it, that, that whole dynamic is proven to be problematic um, for many years. Um, so I would say that, um, listen, the importance of listening and not there to maybe project or, or use it as an opportunity to, you know, lecture. Um, God, there's just so many <laughs> different things. Um, but I will say the industry, no one's really making money. It's a very difficult thing to do. Um, and so I, no disrespect to anyone that is busting their butt trying to make this movie. I know that it's not easy and it's really difficult. Um, and that you really do have to have a lot of passion to, to execute something like that. Um, but there are definitely, and that's why I think we can all work together. <clears throat> and um, so that, that's like one of my, you know, big goals. <laughs> uh, I have made kind of a little bit of a list that I'm still working on about just like a checklist of how to responsibly work with communities that you're not a part of. Um, and that's still a, a list that's in development. So maybe, you know, a call to your listeners um, I don't know if, if you have a website or something for folks to bounce back on that, but that's definitely something that I would love to see more people contribute to um, and make that list more comprehensive. Um, but my big points are, um, you know, don't only have white experts <laughs> talking or um, do your homework, spend time, uh, get to know the community, um, I mean, those are the really the biggest points that I can think of. And, you know, if and thinking like, would you want yourself, would you want something, you know, put your, putting yourself in their shoes and thinking, is that something that is um, befitting of respect for that person? So those are some of the tenets, but I know that there could, we, we could think of more technical ways to also have a checklist around that. I love the idea of uh, getting our community involved and in, in co-creating on your list. Um, I'm curious, you know, you have been developing these principles and thinking about them for many years based on many experiences. And, and you said, you know, you haven't yet been that director, but you've been the field producer, the editor, all so many different roles. And I'm sure you've encountered scenarios, you know, as we all have on, on different teams where we might have a very different perspective <laughs> Um, or you've seen projects where you think questions might need to be raised. Um, so what's it been like for you, you know, in the roles that you've been in to give feedback or to try to present a different perspective? And I suppose also, do you have thoughts about, you know, what filmmakers need to do specifically to make sure they're getting outside of their own blind spots? That's a great question. Um, you know, once I pointed out something that was, in my opinion, definitely highly problematic, um, and what my feedback was um, brushed off, and they said that's subjective. 
That's something that you think. And, you know, I knew that I wasn't the only person that felt that way, but there, this seemed like there was this, um, there was a lot of resistance. So there's been a lot of defensive um, responses. Um, and I think that, you know, I could think about different ways of delivering feedback, but it's not generally taken well. I think that if there was some sort of official, you know, manifesto <laughs> that is collectively authored, um, that might take the weight off of that one one person having to point these things out. Yeah. I wonder if it's also kind of like tied up in this idea that like the director is a genius and they have all of the ideas and they have this artistic vision, right? Which is this sort of ties into the like you know I think that I I have I think that it's so tied up with ego as well generally um, and sometimes that's what it takes to be a director (laughs) so I think that's probably definite uh, it's part of the ingredients um, but it's still it's still there And, and also I do think that a reiteration of journalistic standards might be helpful and so I think that those are falling by the wayside journalism in general is under attack in a way I mean it, it is being under attack and it's been slowly de-incentivized for you know over the past probably 10 years um, just as far as funding and um, conglomeration of media outlets so I think that's very important um, to you know, sort of like let's let's look at journalistic standards and how do those apply, and documentary ethics. So now that we have a lot of different formats for documentary, or for nonfiction film work, that's not that you know still isn't adhering to what are documentary principles. So I think we could probably add those to the list. Like, don't you shouldn't make money off of. <laughs> I mean, not as far as paying yourself but like having elements from from your documentary um enriching you financially well or and being also, used in a context I mean, sorry <laughs> it's it, i mean talking about uh journalistic standards and and um it's interesting that you said that one of the defenses when actually you know you were making an intervention that probably would have helped their film, <laughs> but the response was that subjective. Like, I think that just, that shows everything about that person's perspective on filmmaking. Like, does that mean that this person thinks filmmaking is an objective process? That there's, you know, that there is this sort of one truth and, and that's the approach to filmmaking that is even possible, I think, just raises so many questions. It does. <laughs> it does. This this was a um, person that, not anyone I'm working with right now, but who teaches film somewhere. So I think that 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 there's like this authority <laughs> behind that too when you're an educator um, and producing something. Um, so that might have, you know, added to that situation. But it was definitely problematic. Um, well yeah and I I think on this topic of sort of of ethics and and journalism and um, filmmaking and art 
I wanted to ask you a bit about your current project. I know, you know, the Georgetown project that you're working on that's dealing with, you know, not super light issues, right? You're, you're, you're talking about slavery um, in relation to an institution that I'm not sure may not be so intent on, uh, uh, on, on raising this conversation. So, yeah, if you could tell us a bit about about this project, why you're excited about it, um, what are some of the big, um, you know, questions that you're looking at in approaching this this, uh, this project? Sure. I won't say too much because we are early in in our editing process, but um, I think it's really exciting because, um, I mean, it's not officially by Georgetown, but it's part of the community and so the response to um uncovering the past and uh just the implications of jesuit slaveholding and how it saved the institution their history department has been very active um but the call around sort of reconciliation and um the attempts at making uh amends have been student-led so if it weren't for the students uh protesting um, you know, they, they really were the ones that sparked uh, working on this and for the reconciliation um, and that, you know, working within a, an, a, an educational institution, I know that generally it is very political, but um, in regards to this issue, they have a full sort of like they're approaching it as like we are an educational institution open to debate and learning and, you know, and things can be. Um, controversial so that's not something that is uh, some, that's limiting our ability to tell the story uh, or or how to keep pursuing that story um, and this is very interesting because um, not only is this an institutional uh, you know not a lot of institutions are even willing to admit that there was slavery that had supported it that you know, without slavery, it wouldn't be what it is or exist at all. So it's, to me, I, I was drawn to this project. That was one of the reasons. Um, mm-hmm. And seeing how that, what that looks like and telling our real, actual American history right now is very important. Um, it's been, you know, anything having to do with African Americans gets siloed into a separate history, and it's not. <laughs> so I really... I'm excited about being a part of telling those stories. Um, but also these stories are about people who are alive today, people who are um, just tracing their, their genealogy like any family does. Um, but in their case, their genealogy goes back to a sales receipt, like a literal sales receipt, which is crazy. Um, but it's also, I guess, luckily, Jesuits took really good records. So, <laughs> so there's like a lot of information there. <laughs> Um, and so getting closer to that past helps navigate the future. Um, it's very emotional for the family that we are, we're focusing on in this first um, part of the movie. Um, and it's helping me think about also my enslaved ancestors and what that means and how I carry that with me today. sounds like an incredible project and uh, one that has a lot of local relevance to us in D.C. and just really excited to follow it and um, also to continue 
learning from you as you learn um, and and thinking about uh, how we're going to together, as you said earlier, like move these really critical conversations forward about, you know, who has the claim to tell stories and and how they're going to tell them. Um, So thank you, Don, uh, so much for sharing um, so authentically different parts of your experiences today Um, because this is a conversation as as you were saying like you would think that these were givens right that teams shouldn't be like completely one way that's not connected to a community or have one perspective but unfortunately predominantly you know even though we're in this golden age of documentary people are saying where there's like more money and more opportunities than ever it's still kind of going to like I would say the 1% within this industry, which is sort of... That's so uh, true. (laughs) Yeah, and it's still sort of like the exact same people, and they hire a lot of people who look like them who've had all of the opportunities. Um, And I'm excited for you to direct something um, as well. So I'll be excited when you find that story. Um, Thank you. This has been really exciting and really great. I feel, you know, my soul is fed. (laughs) Ours too. Uh, well, we're almost out of time for today, um, uh, but we do want to give a couple of shout outs to our community. Emily, do you want to kick that off? Sure. One of um, the shout outs for today is um, an opportunity to actually um, submit them for our listeners. So there is, a new, I think it's a relatively new film festival called the Coven Film Festival, and it's devoted specifically to short films by emerging women filmmakers. And it's for folks, it's actually based in the Bay Area, but they're open to folks who are Bay Area-based, as well as international um, filmmakers who, um, who are women identifying and who have short films. And so um, those uh, deadlines are coming up. Um, there's an early bird deadline on October 6th and then a regular deadline on November 6th. So go ahead and and make those submissions. Um, And there's a couple of different prizes available as well. Awesome. I think we're emerging women filmmakers. We shall shall apply. And I I don't know what makes you not emerging anymore, I guess. Maybe once you've had a few features or something. Yeah, I think there's emergent and then legacy. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Yeah, what's like pre-emergent or in the middle? I have so many questions. (laughs) Um, One other shout out that we want to give is to the Double Exposure Film Festival, which I am so excited about the DC film world. We don't get all the credit that we deserve, but we have an amazing slate of film festivals um, around the year. Uh, And so right now we have the, um, the DC Palestinian Film Festival happening this week. Uh, and next week is Double Exposure, and so Double Exposure is um, a film festival which is all about investigative journalism on film, and there are a number of incredible documentaries being screened, as well as really powerful conversations about uh, many of the things that Don brought up today around ethics um, in reporting and telling stories, and so I think these are going to be conversations that we need to be having with some really... Um, thoughtful leaders in the space and uh rumor is don might be there so maybe you'll bump into her (laughs) um but yeah that is all of our time for today so thanks everyone for listening and uh thanks again don thank you guys thank you don 
This has been Bad Feminist Making Films on Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at fullserviceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.